You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. Thank you, Pastor Kirkwood, uh, for leading us in worship. And what a joy it is now. We have the opportunity to open God's Word and to hear from Him. And I hope you're ready. I'm excited to share with you. We continue with Elijah tonight. The war was finally over. October 19, 1781, British General Cornwallis and his army surrendered to George Washington and his army and the French allies at the Battle of Yorktown. It had been six and a half long and exhausting years, but the war, at least the last major battle of the war, was finally over. And they would soon talk about peace in Paris, and it would not be long before that would happen. But these were great days. And emerging from the war, General Washington was victorious, and he was uh, the most respected man in the public. He was looking forward to retirement, actually, in Virginia. He wanted to spend some more time with his family. He had missed them so much during the war years. And so that was his plan. But you and I were on the other side of history, and, and we know that that's not how it turned out for him, because the, the new republic needed him. It was the 1780s. The economy was bad. There was debt. There was deep, bitter division in this new republic. And so they needed someone who could lead this new country forward and form a government. And so in 1787, there was a constitutional convention in Philadelphia in May. And they unanimously chose George Washington to lead the country forward and to form a new government. And so Washington reluctantly agreed. His, his personal desire was to retire and stay out of public life, but he knew his country needed him, and so he reluctantly agreed. What's interesting is that even though Washington had won at Yorktown, that was not his final battle in life. That was his final military battle, but that was not his final battle. His final battle would be the building of a capital city and a new government. Uh, this year, there, a book's been released called George Washington's Final Battle, and it talks about Washington's dream of building a capital city that would be, be the home of, of a new government and a people that would lead it from that city. That was Washington's final battle. And tonight, we want to talk about Elijah's final battle. It was not his final miracle, but it was the final battle of his ministry, the last time we saw Elijah, you remember he was at Mount Carmel. He was alone and discouraged. But God appeared to him there, and God spoke to him there. And Elijah left there, and he had, as far as we know, every intention of finishing the mission that God had given him. Tonight, we want to talk about finishing well. And I want to talk to you about the responsibility that we have as the people of God to finish well. Next week, Lord willing, we'll look at the reward of finishing well. But tonight's the responsibility that we have to finish well. It's easy to quit. And uh, some years ago in Psychology Today, there was an article published called Why We Quit. And the, the author presented the story from the perspective of a runner. And he, the author said the runner can be running, and in the midst of the run, the runner's mind can fast forward to the end of the run. And when that happens, the mind, the mind is already shut off. The, the, the run is over. And so oftentimes the body follows. And we say, well, I, I'm done running. I'm moving on to something else. 
And so the, the author said in that article that that mindset can carry over into other areas of life. There's the fear of failure, the fear of success, there's laziness, there's, there's insecurities, there's failure to believe in ourselves. You, you know, that when you start a project, maybe it's reading a book, maybe it's a yard project, something in the garage, oftentimes we get distracted and it's easy to quit. And so tonight we want to talk about finishing well, because some of you may be on the verge of quitting. You may be on the verge of quitting your marriage. You may be on the verge of quitting your education or quitting saving money or quitting praying and trying to share Christ with that, that neighbor that just is tired of talking to you about it. And we want to finish well. Elijah finished well. Jesus finished well. Remember the words of Jesus in John 17, 4? He said, I've glorified you by accomplishing the work you gave me to do. He's praying to the Father. And so tonight we want to talk about finishing well. And I want to share with you from 2 Kings chapter 1, five ways you and I can finish well. And I'll try to move through these quickly. Five ways that you and I can finish well in the Christian life. Elijah left Mount Sinai and he went and anointed Elisha to be his successor. And then you, we see Elijah appear again in 1 Kings chapter 21. God told him to appear to Ahab. And so Elijah goes to see Ahab. He obeys just like we would expect him to do. Well, Ahab eventually died, and Ahab's son, Ahaziah, became king in his place. We see that at the end of 1 Kings in, in, in verse 51. Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, began to reign over Israel in Samaria. He only reigned two years. This would have been 853 and 852 B.C. And uh, he did what was evil, it says, in the sight of the Lord. And he walked in the way of his father and in the way of his mother and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Now, Jeroboam, you have to go back to 1 Kings 12, where he set up two golden calves, similar, uh, as you might think, back to Exodus of Mount Sinai, where they worshiped a golden calf. Uh, that's what Jeroboam did. So Ahaziah was walking in the same path of idolatry that his parents did and that one of the former kings did. It's interesting that Ahaziah's name means held by Yahweh, uh, but in reality, his heart was held by Baal, the false god. And um, because Israel was an agricultural economy, Israel would turn to Baal instead of Yahweh. And there were practical reasons for that. They were, they were farmers. They needed rain, and Baal was a fertility god. And so that often happened. And because of that, Elijah was a mouthpiece for God and spoke truth in the midst of that setting. So when 2 Kings begins, there's uh, a rebellion by Moab. It says, Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. And, and that's, where we, that's where we find 2 Kings beginning. Now, 1 Kings covers about 150 years. 2 Kings covers about 300 years. And all through 2 Kings, there are some high points, but mostly low points. It's, it's just a downward spiritual decline and this descent into idolatry. And eventually it's going to be captivity with Assyria defeating the northern kingdom and Babylon defeating the southern kingdom of Judah. There were some bright moments, but as a whole, the nation refused to worship Yahweh. The nation would turn to other nations for alliances. They turned to Baal, the false god. They worshipped him. 
And so the nation had, had a prophet of God in Elijah, and he spoke the truth of God, but uh, Elijah nor any of the, other, of the other prophets, none of them could stop the idol worship. It was persistent throughout the land. Well, Israel, they, they thought, well, we can have some of Yahweh and we can have some of Baal. We'll just do both. And, and that's, what it, that's what Mount Carmel was about. You remember that? When Elijah said, uh, if, the, if the Lord is God, worship him. If Baal is God, worship him. You can't have it both ways. Just make a decision and, and, and worship. But, but Israel wanted to have it both ways. And there, there was a brief moment of revival at Mount Carmel, but, but after that, things just went back to normal. People were continued the Baal worship, even though Elijah was being faithful and doing his best. So here's the first point I want to share with you on ways that you and I can finish well in the Christian life. The first way is this. Fail, failure to see our ministry fulfilled does not mean that we are a failure. Failure to see our ministry fulfilled does not mean that we're a failure. Elijah did not see the entire nation of Israel remain committed to God. Yes, there was a moment of repentance, but it didn't last. It was short-lived. So I wonder if Elijah just had a dream of revival. I wondered if he thought back to Leviticus 23, where there was a Passover, and there was the Feast of Trumpets, and there was the Sabbath, and all these feasts were, where Israel would gather together and worship God and do no ordinary work and set aside time to worship him. I wonder if he thought after Mount Carmel, man, that time is back. We're going to be celebrating the Passover. We're going to be putting God in his rightful place and worshiping him and seeking first his kingdom, his righteousness. It never happened. It never happened. No matter how obedient, no matter how faithful he was, it never happened. And it doesn't mean he was a failure. Uh, he, he obeyed God. He, he, he did what God told him to do most of the time. He had a powerful ministry at Zarephath. To a, a, a widow, you, you remember that. But on the surface level, you would have to say, by looking at Israel as a whole, you would have to say, his ministry was not very effective. Uh, that, that's one perspective. But if you look at it from God's perspective, it was a success because he obeyed God. And so God may have called you to begin a business. He may have called you to share Christ with your neighbor. He may have called you to get engaged in ministry somehow. But for whatever reason, it's not gone well. Your neighbor hasn't been saved yet. That family member for years you've been praying for has not come to Christ. And, and you just want to quit. You say, I, you know, it's a failure. I, I've been trying. Nothing has happened. Your business is not thriving but if you are obeying God, it is a success. It does not mean you are a failure. Some years ago, uh, Tommy Nelson preached a message at Dallas Seminary. And the message was having fun in ministry. Now, he was talking to, to people, men and women, training for ministry. But he, he, he made a comment that went something like this. You will not win the world to Christ. You will not win your city to Christ. You may not even win your neighborhood to Christ. Study hard, do your best, and go eat Tex-Mex. That, that, that was his advice. And, and that, that just encouraged me. There's something freeing about doing your best, but then leaving the results to God. Obey God, do the best you can, apply yourself, and then leave the results to God. 
That's what Elijah had to do. That's what you and I have to do. There's, we, we can't change somebody's heart. We can't force someone to believe in Christ. All we can do is proclaim the truth. And then they make the decision. In verse 2, Ahaziah had an accident. It says, he fell through the lattice in his upper chamber in Samaria and lay sick. Now, the lattice work was uh, nice for privacy. It was nice for shelter and shade, but it was not very sturdy. It was a piece of woodwork. And, and so he, he apparently fell over the lattice work. And uh, this would have been from an upper balcony. And really, his fall represents the nation of Israel. Israel had fallen spiritually. And there they lay they lay sick, and, and you don't know. Of course, we know from reading the rest of the book, but at the time, you, as a reader, if you read that, you go, was he going to get up? Is he paralyzed? Does he have internal organ damage? We're, we're not told. We're not told exactly the nature of his, his, his hurt, but the, he represents the nation that has fallen from its place as a kingdom of priests. They've, they're not worshiping God. They, they're spiritually sick. And, uh, and, and so what, what's going to happen? Is Israel going to turn to God? Are they going to repent? And so this was a moment for Ahaziah. This was his moment where he could have turned to God. He could have returned to God in repentance and said, Lord, I've blown it. I've, 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 I've had idols in my life. I've not sought you, but now I'm turning to you. But that's not what he did. It, look, look what happened. It says, he, so he sent messengers telling them, go inquire of Baalzebub, the God of Ekron whether I shall recover from this sickness. Now, uh, he had been humbled, he was hurting, but now he turns. The, the verb, the key verb in this whole chapter is the word inquire. I count at least five times this word is used. Inquire, inquire. So now he's inquiring from a false god in, 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 in the Philistine area. Now, Ekron was located about 60 miles south of Samaria on the Philistine border. It was the northernmost Philistine city. It was one of their five major cities. And so this is one of the gods of Goliath all the way back in 1 Samuel. And now he's inquiring of a foreign god. Now, you may ask the question, well, if they're worshiping Baal, why didn't he just require, inquire of Baal in Israel? And that's a great question. And the only reason I read was because maybe he just, this was a private matter. He didn't want people to know what he was doing. So he went to a foreign city. Now, Beelzebub means Lord of the Flies. It comes from two words, Baal, which means Lord, and Zabab, or Zabab actually, which is a, the verb. It means to dangle or to move here and there. The noun form refers to a fly. So this false god may have they have been thought to have the ability to drive away flies or a disease or infection. So Ahaziah is looking to this false god for healing. And he's looking specifically, he wants to know, am I going to recover or not? Am I going to make it out of this sickness? And so this fly god apparently, apparently had the ability to predict the future. And so Ahaziah turns to this false god instead of turning to Yahweh. So obviously what happened on Mount Carmel didn't impact Ahaziah. He could have remembered back and said, wait a minute, I saw Yahweh brought fire down from heaven. And it was, it was clear he's the true God, but he didn't take that to heart. And, and it's the same way when you and I, we can share and share and share Christ with people. And sometimes the heart is just hard and it doesn't fall on good soil and they don't receive it. And so here we go again. There's another showdown here. 
on tap here, just like at Mount Carmel, who is the one true God? Is it this false God in, in, in Ekron or is it Yahweh? That's the question here. And so King Isaiah's Christ, crisis provided an opportunity for Elijah. Verse um, 3, but the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria. And the angel gave Elijah a message. And the message was essentially this. Is it because there is no God in Israel that you've got to go to Ekron and inquire of this God? Is, is there no God in Israel to inquire of? There's our word again, inquire. Do you have to seek some false God? You know, think about your own life. What, where is it do you, that you turn when you're struggling, is it, is it social media? Is it food? Where, where is it that you turn to? You think, I've got to have an answer. Do, I, do you turn to the word of God where this living and active, the word of God that is rich and profitable for training and righteousness? Or do you turn to the world? Do you turn to the news? Do you, where, where do you turn? Ahaziah turned to a false God and God raised, spoke to Elijah through this angel, the angel of the Lord. And I love the end of verse 4. So Elijah went. Now, we don't know exactly what Elijah was doing. He had, his schedule was interrupted. So Elijah went. I, I hope that each one of us could insert our name right there and just say, so Barry went. So John went. So Kathy went. I, I hope that you and I would have that type of obedience just immediate, God said it, that, I'm just, that's just what I'm going to do. And so that's what Elijah does. He obeys just like he'd done before. So now this is our second point. If you and I are going to finish well, when someone else is searching, we have the responsibility to speak truth. When someone else is searching, we have the responsibility to speak truth. Elijah had the responsibility to seek truth. Isaiah is searching. Now he's searching from the wrong source but he's still searching. And there's people all over that are searching from the wrong source. And you and I have the responsibility to speak truth. And some of you may be undergoing medical treatment regularly. You're coming in contact with medical professionals. Man, you have the responsibility and the opportunity to speak truth. Some of you, man, you're, you're in corporate America. Most of you are. And, and you have opportunities to speak truth when people have questions now about what is going on in the world, you and I have opportunities to speak truth. People are searching, and we can take advantage of that opportunity and point people to Christ. Well, Elijah had a message for these messengers. He said, hey, is there no God uh, in Israel for you to inquire of? So he communicates that, and these messengers are scared to death, and they turn around, and they go back to Samaria. And the king sees them, sees them and says, why have you returned? Uh, you know, surely you haven't had time to travel 60 miles and back. Uh, wh wh why are you back so soon? And they said, well, we, we ran into a man, and this is the message that he had for us. And the king says, tell me about this man. He says, well, he had a hairy garment on. And he goes, ah, Elijah, Elijah. The old nemesis that his parents had faced, that his mom had threatened to kill, and that his dad had said, you know, you enemy of Israel, and uh, it was Elijah. His, Ahaziah knew it right away. This was him. So Ahaziah thought, I've got to get a handle on this. And so he sends out 50 men and a captain to go detain Elijah and to bring him back. 
And the reason we think that he would bring him back is he thought, if I can get my hands on him, he'll change his message. He'll reverse his prophecy, and maybe somehow I'll recover. That's what Isaiah was thinking. So, um, that's, so he goes, sends these people after Elijah. He thought, surely I can intimidate him. Uh, Elijah had run from his mother, Jezebel, but he didn't run from Ahaziah. These 50 go, and it says that um, this is a battle really about authority. And the, these, the captain shows up, and um, he says, um, he says Elijah was sitting on the top of a hill. Now, there's no other hill mentioned here in this Elijah's context except for Mount Carmel. And so we don't know for sure, but perhaps he's at Mount Carmel. And I just wonder if there he is sitting on top of a hill, maybe he was looking over there where God had called, brought down fire from heaven before. And I wonder if he looked at that spot and he looked at these 50 in front of him and thought, what in the world do I have to be afraid of? I've seen God bring down fire from heaven. I have no reason to fear these people in front of me. So this first captain said, oh, man of God, the king says, come down. But Elijah answered the captain, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. And just like that, fire comes down and, and there's 51 people dead. And you may wonder, why did God do this? Well, the king was in the wrong to try to put God's man under his authority. The king had no right to demand Elijah's allegiance. And yet he had overstepped his bounds. Remember back in 1 Samuel 8, Samuel told the people of Israel what to expect with a king. He said, this is what a king will do. He clearly explained. He said, he'll take your sons. He'll take your daughters. He'll employ them in his service. The king had a lot of power, but he didn't have power over a prophet. And so now he's stepping outside of his bounds, and now this has become a spiritual battle. And so God is protecting Elijah, and he's protecting his word and his man. And so once again, it's clear, God is making it clear, he is the one true God, not this false God in Ekron. Well, the king heard about this, and he thought, well, fine, I'll send another group. So another, the second captain comes out, and the second captain is more forceful, and he's more demanding, but he stands at a distance. And he, he says, um, oh, man of God, this is the king's order. Come down quickly, just demanding. You know, it's, it's time to come down right now. And one source wrote that this command conveyed the arrogance of power. But Ahaziah had enough of Elijah. It's time to put an end to this. But Elijah, the same thing happens. If I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven. Boom, fire comes down from heaven, and the other 51 are consumed. This brings us to our third point, ways that you and I can finish well. Opposition from man must not deter our obedience to God. Opposition from man must not deter our obedience to God. Elijah would not be deterred. In his final battle, he's going to obey God in spite of opposition coming from the king and these over a hundred people. Coach Tony Dungy uh, is such a strong Christian and is such a great spokesman for Christianity. Um, he has such a ministry uh, in the Tampa area, greater Tampa area where he lives. Some years ago, Coach Dungy was asked to speak to a group of assistant principals in the uh, public school district there. So he went to speak with them. While he was speaking, he shared this story. 
He said that when he was growing up, he was in high school, as far as I know, he was playing football, which was his dream. And he said things were not going well with the coach, and, and, and Tony felt like he was being uh, mistreated. My guess, he probably didn't get the playing time he thought that he deserved. And Tony felt like, because of the color of his skin, that, that this was not working out like he wanted. So he, Tony quit the team. Well, shortly after, the, one of the, the assistant principal heard about what happened. And the assistant principal cares, cared about Tony. And so he drove over to Tony's house. And he said, uh, Tony, I, I understand you quit the football team. And he said, yeah, he said, you know, that, that coach. And he just went on, you know, it's, it's just not fair. And he went on and, and, and said uh, what was on his heart. And the assistant principal said, Tony, even if it were true, why would you let someone else steal your dream? His dream was to play ball. And he, even if it's true, you're letting someone else steal your dream, Tony. Well, Coach, coach Dungey went back and joined the team. And uh, he went on to play college ball, played in the NFL. And, of course, you know, he came to, went on to be a coach. And now he's a commentator. You see him on NBC in the fall. But what if that assistant principal hadn't gone by his house that day? Uh, think of how his career could have been different. What, what, if, what if he didn't care enough to do that? And uh, what, 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 if, what if Elijah had refused to go see Ahaziah? Uh, Elijah endured opposition. And continued being a man of God. Don't let anyone else steal your dream. So you may have had a dream. Somebody, God may have put something on your heart years ago. And, and someone had a word of discouragement. Someone had opposition. And, you know, you just, you just gave up on it. You, you may have had a dream to use your business for God. You may have had a dream for your neighborhood to have people in your home, to start a small group. You may have had a dream to do something incredible for God and you let someone else steal it away from you. Or maybe you just gave up on it. Now, now's the time to get it back. Now's the time to say, Lord, God, would you forgive me for giving up on that? I want to finish. I want God, I want to finish that dream you gave me. I want to see it fulfilled. And I want to obey to the last breath you give, you give me. I want to be obedient. Elijah was obedient. Here comes another group of 50 and another captain. The king sends a third group uh, back, and this, this captain had a completely different approach. He's not demanding. He's humbling himself. It says in verse 13, he, he fell on his knees before Elijah. He comes in complete humility. Oh, man of God, please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. And he's pleading for mercy. Surely he'd heard about what's happened. Over 100 people, I count it, have died. And, and, and now he's coming, humbling himself. I wonder if, if this captain knew about King Ahab. Late in his life, you can read about it in First Kings 21, verse 29, or right before that, King Ahab humbled himself. And God told Elijah, have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? It caught God's attention, and God changed what he was going to do. He said he would not bring about the disaster in his days, but in his son's days. I wonder if this captain knew about that. And he thought, man, Ahab humbled himself, and it, it certainly changed things on his, his life. So maybe if I humble myself before Elijah, maybe things will be different. And, and, and that's what he does. He humbles himself. And when he does, Elijah goes with him. 
The angel of the Lord told Elijah to go down with the third captain and not be afraid. Elijah arose and went. Elijah had learned to obey God in the hard places at Cherith, at Zarephath. So why would he stop now? He's been, he's been following God. God spoke to him even when he was, uh, had disobeyed and, or had, I don't know if you say disobeyed, but had gone off on his own and gone to Mount Sinai. But yet God still spoke to him. And, and so far as we know, here comes Elijah, unarmed and outmanned, heading to see the king. Here's our fourth point. In a calloused world, we must remain sensitive to God. In a calloused world, you and I must remain sensitive to God. Isaiah tried to intimidate Elijah, tried to use his power. Elijah could have easily said, uh, you know what, i I don't have time for this. I'm, I'm older than you, king. I've lived a lot longer than you have. I don't, I, I'm not into power plays. I, I've done my time. He could have easily done that, yet he remains sensitive to the voice of God. Last year in Niles, Illinois, a, a police officer named Brian Zagorski, Zagorski was on patrol with his partner, and they encountered a homeless man. They, they noticed a homeless man was uh, when he would walk, his, the rubber on his shoe would bend back underneath his foot. He, he kind of tripped a couple of times. So the officer engaged him in conversation and asked if he could do anything to help him. The officer said, hey, would you like a bag of hope? A bag of hope has toothbrush and toothpaste, deodorant, things like that in it. The man said no. And so the officer said, what, what, about, what about shoes? And um, the, the, the homeless man's eyes kind of lit up and the officer said, um, well, what, what size shoe do you wear? And he said, 10 and a half. He said, uh, I have a 10 and a half. He said, uh, yeah, hey, you want to try on my shoes? Um, how, how about we switch? And uh, the, the homeless man said, are, are, are you serious? And uh, he said, well, just absolutely. Just try them on. Let's see what happens. He tried them on. Man, they were a good fit. And the officer said, they're yours. And, and, and off, off, off he went. He said, thank you. And off the homeless man goes. And I think if anyone could be calloused, it could be law enforcement. Think of all that they encounter and the numerous problems they deal with every day. They could easily be, be callous and say, well, it's just another person. And hey, I've heard the same old story. And uh, what if his heart would have been hard? He would have missed that opportunity. And you think, man, when our hearts become calloused, in the world, we're not as sensitive to the word of God. You see, Elijah had, had, had heard this, the low whisper of God's voice at Mount Sinai. He knew how to listen to God. And here he is on a hill, and he heard from God. He heard the angel say, go with them. And so he, he obeyed. Well, there's one final thing I want to show you here that Elijah did in this final battle. He went to face the king and to deliver the message God put on his heart. Now, as far as we know, Jezebel could have still been alive. Remember, Jezebel threatened his life, and Elijah ran. We're not told that she died. We're told her husband died. Maybe she was still alive, but, but, but Elijah is, has matured now. He's grown up some spiritually, and so he, he goes to face the king. Elijah was now in front of the younger king and his men who were armed. They could have finished him off with one thrust, as one source said. Uh, yet we're not told about any fear in Elijah's life. Instead, he proclaimed his life message one more time. This is the message that God put on his heart. And he talks about, is there no God in Israel that you've, uh, you're inquiring of this other God? 
was the essence of his uh, there in verse 16. And uh, Elijah was not acting out of vengeance. Elijah was not trying to prove himself. Elijah was just being obedient. And so, therefore, Elijah said, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up. Ahaziah wanted an answer. He got his answer. But you shall surely die. Yahweh was supreme once again. He had prevailed just like he did at Mount Carmel. In his book on Elijah, Dr. Swindoll wrote this, the heroism of godly men and women is demonstrated in their, in their being willing to face unpleasant conditions, even threatening circumstances with remarkable calm. They act with firm resolve, even though it means incurring personal unpopularity. Nothing deters their passion to obey God. God's message is paramount, period. This brings us to our fifth and final point tonight. We must commit to following God, even though it would be easier to give up. You and I must commit to following God, even though it would be easier to give up. It would have been easier for Elijah to remain on that hill all by himself. It would have been, it'll be easier for you to remain quiet instead of engaging your neighbor about Christ. Uh, It'll be easier for you at the workplace uh, to talk about sports and to talk about Jesus. It's, It's always easier to do something else than to engage in spiritual warfare sometimes and sharing the gospel. But If you and I are going to finish well, then we've got to follow through with what God has told us to do. And uh, for some of you right now, uh, you you can't finish the Christian life because maybe you've never started the Christian life. You've heard about Jesus. Maybe you've been in the church for years, but you've never done as this third captain did. You've never come and humbled yourself before Almighty God as he humbled himself before Elijah. You know, God's word says twice in the New Testament, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself before God. Confess your sin to him. He's already paid for your sin through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus. All you have to do, all anyone has to do is receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. And my friend, you can do that now. And your Christian journey, your Christian race can begin right now. Others of you, you made that decision a long time ago. But maybe tonight is a type, is a a night of recommitment. You you may say, you know what? I've gotten distracted in my race. I've not not been finishing because I've I've been distracted. I've been discouraged. I've I've been on a detour. Tonight, you can recommit and say, Father, would you give me the strength? Help me to finish the race you've called me to run. Help me to finish what you've called me to do. Help me to put that and invite people over into our home and and to start that Bible study like you put on our heart. Help me to start that business. Help me to go on that mission trip like you put on my heart so so long ago. And I've 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 just refrained from doing it for whatever reason. Tonight, you can you can make that decision. And you can change things. Well, George Washington answered the call to step back into public life. For years, Washington had envisioned a city that would serve as a commercial and city capital of the new country. This city would promote freedom and unity for the new republic. It would be located geographically in the center of the republic at that time, near a river that he knew well, the Potomac River. It was a monumental task. 
considering Washington, D.C. at the time was wilderness, and, and he was starting from scratch. But Washington was, uh, had a knack for architecture, and he had, been a, had experience in surveying, so he knew what he was doing. And so he was personally involved in every aspect of the city's development. He selected the location. He, he hired the architect. He oversaw the construction. He purchased the land. He raised the money. Members of Congress saw his passion and saw him just eaten up with this project. And he gave himself to it. In 1793, he laid the cornerstone for the new Capitol building. And he oversaw its progress through the years. But he never did get to see the Capitol completed. 1799, he died. Less than a year later, the House and Senate would begin meeting in that new building. But it was his final battle, Washington. He was willing to reenter public life against his own personal desires in order to help a country in need. And I just wonder tonight, what are you willing to do to finish the battle, to finish the race that God's given you? Are you willing to put aside your personal comfort in order to follow God, to follow Jesus, to pick up your cross and follow him? Are you willing to do that? Let's ask the Lord to help us with that. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the, these wonderful stories of Elijah. He was a man, as James says, with a nature just like us. He was not a superhero. He struggled just like we do. But he sure did obey you quickly. And I pray, Father, that we would do the same. I pray for my brothers and sisters tonight. Lord, if there's some that are maybe somewhere along the way, you put something on their heart and they've not done what you told them to do. I pray tonight would be a, a time of confession, a time of repentance, and a time of recommitment that they're going to do what you tell them to do. Thank you that, Lord, all we have to do is obey you, and you, you put the words in our mouth. You give us favor. We bless you. Thank you for what you're teaching us through Elijah. Help us to have soft and teachable hearts. Father, during these days where there's so much unrest, Lord, would you give us compassionate hearts? Would you give us courage? Would you use us to be the fragrance of Jesus Christ? Lord, may people see something different in us. And I pray we'd have an opportunity to share by the hope we have in Christ. Thank you, Father, that you're with us. Thank you that you're our refuge and strength, as we heard earlier. We love you, Father. And we praise you for your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us tonight, dear friends. Next week, we talk about the reward, Lord willing, the reward of finishing well. I look forward to seeing you then. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.